Well, everybody, we are recovering from Eurovision this morning. It was lovely to see Australia come second, Adami M, who I'm told is a Christian. So it's really wonderful to see, to see that. I, I love the way um, so many Christians engage with the world. We're not in the world, as David said. We're not in the world. We're not of the world. But yet God intends for us to be interacting um, with people in the world. So we're sanctified, we're separated, but yet we are actually rubbing shoulders every day with people who don't know Jesus. And uh, we get so many opportunities. And it's just wonderful to be able to celebrate with someone like, because every interview she did, every word that came from her mouth was positive. It's so lovely to see that. And uh, so, yeah, we're celebrating Australia coming second in Eurovision this year. As David said, this is the third in our series on saved. You might recall our first was saved. So what? The second was saved. For what? And today I want to focus on saved by what? And I'm sure you all know the answer already. Anyway, but there could be someone on this planet who hears the recording of this sermon who doesn't actually know the answer. So just a quick review of where we've been. In terms of the so what, this is one of my, my, my heart really is to teach people about what salvation means. I'm, I'm so convinced that a lot of people kind of fall away in their faith months or, or years after that salvation experience because no one's ever actually taught them what it actually means to be saved. And I think there are at least four different um, facets of our salvation that we really need to understand. And the first is that our identity after we're saved is that of saint. As far as God is concerned, before we make the commitment to build a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, he sees us as wicked. It doesn't matter how many good things we do, as far as God is concerned, our identity is wicked. But after we're saved, as far as God is concerned, our identity is saint. And it doesn't matter if we slip up from time to time, God still sees us as a saint. It's really important for us to understand our identity as saint. As far as God is concerned, our character is righteous. Before we're saved, our character is wicked. Did I say we're a sinner before we're... I need to get my head, head right. Um, <laughs> God sees us as a saint prior to that. We're, we're a sinner, of course. Our identity is sinner. But our character, we're wicked before we're saved and uh, we become righteous in God's eyes after that. As far as our status is concerned, before we're saved, we are condemned. We're condemned to eternity in hell. But... Once we're saved, we're justified. And that gives us the legal standing of not being guilty of the sin of our past, of our present, or of our future. And that is one of the most amazing things about our salvation. When we are justified at that point of salvation, we're no longer guilty of sin, past, present, or future. And that doesn't give us a license to sin at all. In fact, I believe that if we really are saved, 
we won't have a desire to live a life of sin, although obviously we'll sometimes make mistakes and sometimes fall into sinful acts, but it's not our um, common way of life. And finally, where are we placed? Before we're saved, we're actually placed in darkness. After we're saved, we're placed in light. And uh, from time to time, I'm going to continue to remind us of those aspects of salvation. The really important thing for us to understand is that these things are what God thinks of us, not what we think of ourselves or what anyone else thinks of us. Last week we talked about the for what, and the answer here is pretty simple, two words really, we're saved for good works. And one of the key scriptures we used was from Ephesians 2 um, verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Another in the book of James Chapter 2, verse 26, Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. And as I said last week, sometimes we can misunderstand what good works are and get really focused on doing stuff. But actually, good works encompasses our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. And when our thoughts, words, and deeds are actually motivated by our love for the Lord, by our relationship with him, then they are good works. So that's what defines good works. It's not necessarily being the person who gets to church earliest, like yesterday, in the case of David and Ainsley. It's not you know, the person who works the hardest to, to clean the floors and to prepare the communion and all those kinds of things. It's all to do with the attitude of the heart. So today, I have a question for you. What are we saved by? I've got to get it there. What are we saved by? No, not by a swan. But there's a hint there. What was that? Grace. Yes, we're saved by grace. Now it's interesting. I just did a, a search for images representing grace. And the most common image I found was the swan. Not always the white swan, sometimes it was a black swan, but because in Australia there are very few white swans, we don't nat there are no natural white swans in Australia, they're all black. But in Europe, swans are white. I have no idea why that is the case, maybe because there's more snow there, I don't know. But um, I found this very interesting, so I thought, well I'll put that up there as, as a hint. You know, what are we saved by, and it is, is grace. And the swan, of course, is a very graceful bird, either when they're on the water, as that image um, portrays the swan, or when they're actually flying. So I want to focus on a couple of key, key scriptures, and uh, again, we get this from uh, the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 9, for by grace... You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There's actually quite a lot of theology in that um, pair of verses there. 
Grace and faith are very, very closely linked, and I want to talk about that in a few moments. The really important thing, though, of course, is that it's not our doing. The grace of God is not our doing. His grace is made available to us. The only thing we do is to respond. It's a gift of God. It has nothing to do with works, and of course you're sick of me saying that now. So I won't belabor that point. But here's the reason why God doesn't want us to be saved by our works. It's because it will give us a platform on which to boast. Remember, Paul says that my only boast is in Christ, not in anything. And, and he, of course, in a sense didn't have much to boast about because before his own conversion experience, he'd been specialising in killing Christians. So I suppose you could say he didn't have a lot to boast about, certainly in relation to parts of his life. But uh, God never intends for us to be prideful, to, to boast about how good we are, because then that sends a message to the rest of the world that unless you're good, you're not going to be able to receive the grace of God. I can remember speaking to my brother uh, a few years ago, one of my brothers, he was going to, to Europe with a choir and they were going to be singing at um, you know, the Pope's house. What do they call that? The Vatican. That's right. It just goes to show how educated I am. Anyway, I thought, oh, good, good idea to introduce him to Jesus. And uh, he just said, I wouldn't make a good Christian. <laughs> and I said, well, see, that's not what it's about. God loves bad Christians, right? You don't have to be a good Christian for God to love you because it's actually got nothing to do with how good or bad we are. And in fact, if we do come under God's grace only because of our works, most of us are never going to get there anyway. But if we do, of course will become like some of the Pharisees and be very boastful about how good we are and how we have managed to get ourselves into the kingdom of God. And as an aside, this is one of the things that makes the Christian religion unique. All those people who think there are many ways to God and that all religions are the same, unfortunately are just plain ignorant because they haven't studied religions carefully enough. Most religions require you to do good things to receive the ultimate reward. We do good things because we can't help it. It's an expression of our love for God, but it's not actually the cause of our salvation or even the blessing in our lives. This second... Um, Scripture here is from the book of Acts. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Now this was, the, the context here is an argument about whether or not Gentiles needed to be circumcised. And uh, there was a whole movement among uh, the new Christians, the Jewish, Jewish Christians, of course, they, they'd come into Christianity with their culture. And we do. We, we take our culture into our faith and they thought everybody should, or every male, should be circumcised. 
So there's this big argument about whether or not you can actually get into heaven if you're not circumcised. And of course, for a Jew, culturally, because their culture and their religion weren't really separated, for a Jew, culturally and religiously, the circumcision was the most fundamental indicator of your commitment to your religion. But um, Christianity was different. You don't have to conform with any ritual in order to qualify as a member or a participant in the kingdom of God. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that saves us. And in the same manner as they, that's a reference back to the, the Jews. And uh, I would, one of the things that I was thinking about uh, during the week really was whether or not Israel were actually partakers of God's grace and whether we are as... Because God chose Israel. He didn't choose anybody else, although you could actually become a citizen. You could actually join in with, with Israel. But now, of course, God's grace is available for the salvation of everybody, Jews and Gentiles. It's not something I really want to focus on too much here, but I just think it's interesting to, to ponder on that point, although, as we shall soon see, the word grace appears many times in the Old Testament. Here's another important scripture I think also that it's from the book of Titus that relates to grace and again here we go this juxtaposition of works and grace occurs over and over and over again why because it's a trap that we fall into so often not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour. And having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So again, works it out, that's not the way to salvation. I think this passage is quite important because it links the mercy of God to his grace. Now, a lot of people, I think, get mercy and grace mixed up. I remember when I first went to work for a Christian organisation, there was a culture there of not meeting deadlines. And no one seemed to worry about it. And I can remember saying to people, well, you actually had a deadline here. So, oh, you've got to give me grace. I've been there for about two or three months and I said, stop. You're not asking for grace at all. You're just, you're actually, well, you're actually asking for mercy, but I'm not giving you mercy and I'm not giving you grace because you're just plain slack. And, and there, this, there is a culture in a lot of Christian organisations where people don't take a lot of stuff seriously, like, like deadlines, for example, and then they say, extend grace to me. Well, they're not really looking for grace. They're just looking for you to excuse them for their slackness. And uh, we changed the whole culture in that organisation because I just said, I refuse to extend what you're asking because you're just plain slack. Right. And that might have sounded tough, but that was a bad culture. It doesn't reflect well on the Lord, because you know, our Lord is a Lord of order. And look, 
We don't like it when he's slack. When we pray, we want the answer to our prayer right away, okay? So we're always giving God a deadline that's like now. So how would you feel if you're sitting down, to, you're kneeling and you're praying and God's saying, oh, you know, give me some grace. <laughs> you know, I've got a lot of other prayers to deal with. You know, there's other people with more tears than you. Or, or that bloke down there, he tires more than you do. You know, we're not going to be too impressed, are we? Grace and mercy are different things. Mercy is an attribute of God, and that's what motivates His grace. You see, He's a merciful God, and because He's a merciful God, because He's also a loving God, that's what motivates His grace. That's why our God can accept us no matter how bad we are. And I, I, I see so often, again, I've, I've got all these, these theories about why people backslide, you know. And, and I think one of the other reasons why people backslide is that they feel somehow they can't meet the standard. Because so often we begin, we're trying to build a kind of culture at church that says you've got to be here on time or you've got to be here before, before the start time. You know, you've got to greet people, you've got to have a cup of coffee because we've got good coffee in our church. And then you've got to make sure you're here. We've got to start on time. You've got to hang around because fellowship is really important. You know, so all, all of a sudden the whole thing becomes a heap of obligation. And by grace God invites us to receive relationship with Him. And it's not conditional upon any traditions or rituals or rules and regulations that we might make. I just love this idea again. Regeneration. Remember when we were talking about saved, so what? We, we, we focused for a little while on what regeneration was all about. This is the, the new creation. Our spirit becomes renewed, becomes animated by the Holy Spirit whom God poured out on us abundantly. Wow. And it doesn't even say just on some of us. That us means yous. All of yous. Right? All of yous. He poured out His Holy Spirit abundantly. It's not conditional at all. Not conditional. It doesn't matter how tall you are, how short you are, how smart you are, how bad you are. He's poured out His Holy Spirit abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. And we're justified because God is a God of grace. Man's got nothing to do with what we've done or what we might do. We're justified because God is a God of mercy and love and that motivates his grace and because of his grace he has pronounced us justified that is amazing that is amazing let's have a little look now at what grace actually means and um, I want to appeal first to Matthew Henry because a lot of people have actually quote as far as I know, it was Matthew Henry who used this expression that 
Uh, grace is the free, undeserved goodness and favour of God. And uh, we, we hear a lot of uh, sermons that talk about grace as the undeserved or the unmerited favour of God. But in Matthew Henry's commentary, this is what he says, The grace that saves is the free, undeserved goodness and favour of God, and he saves not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. I love that. Well, uh, the word for, which is usually translated um, grace or, or, or a similar word in the Old Testament is, I think you pronounce that Cain. It's definitely not pronounced Chen, it's spelled C-H-E-N. But it's uh, pronounced, I think, Cain. It occurs 69 times in the Old Testament. And yes, it does have the general meaning of favour. But there's another meaning attached to it as well, which is a response to that which is agreeable. That is good. What are you waving at? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm standing in front of the screen. I, I shouldn't be doing that. Maybe I'll stand over here. Is that better? <laughs> That's not better. <laughs> Do I look better from the other side? <laughs> well, maybe I should uh, we'll have to do something about that. Um, well, we saw, we saw in Eurovision, we decided we know the stage we want when we had our permanent yeah. church. It was a fabulous stage, all electronic, and you could actually make people you didn't like disappear. That's what I thought that was the best thing about it. If you don't like the preacher, the guy on lights could just make him disappear. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> Just fabulous. Um, and in, in the New Testament, the word occurs 156 times. It's um, charis. And it also has the general meaning of favour. But uh, another meaning attached to it is the divine influence upon the heart. And uh, so definitely, grace is tied up with this free undeserved goodness and favour of God. See, God wants to bless us. You know, we're, we're all, in that sense, His favourites. Go right back to Genesis, and I, I love going back to Genesis. Genesis 1, 2 and 3 kind of give you the, the foundation for the whole of our Christian faith. But in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, that reveals that the very first words that Adam and Eve ever heard from the mouth of God were words of blessing. Because this is what it says. It says, and he blessed them. And he blessed them. So God's heart towards us is a heart of blessing. And that's why this word grace occurs so Many times. I like this idea that grace is also a response to that which is agreeable because I think that's related to this notion that God's heart is always to bless us. See, I'm always agreeable to blessing, right? I'm always agreeable to that. And so God's grace is closely connected with His desire to bless us. I love this idea too that grace is the divine influence upon the heart because I, I truly believe that 
at the point of salvation, it's as if God downloads to our own hearts the, the law, the old law. Not that we would slavishly follow it, but that old law becomes the basis for our outworking of our faith. That, that law was designed to protect people. That law was designed to honour um, people's possessions and a whole range of things. So I, I believe that this is what the divine influence upon the heart is all about. That grace imparts to us an influence, it's a strong influence that actually enables us to live as God wants us to live. And I think that's a very powerful idea. I love the grace and peace salutation that occurs in many of the epistles. Sometimes it's at the beginning and sometimes it's at the end. But it generally goes like this. This is just one example taken from the first chapter of Colossians. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful, wonderful expression of um, an intent or, or a blessing from the writer that you would come under his grace and that would result in peace for you. And uh, that's what the New Testament Sabbath is all about. It's living in a state of peace. And we'll talk about the New Testament Sabbath um, in a future sermon in the not-too-distant future. So I, I just love this, this way that Paul in particular often issues this salutation, grace and peace to you. I think it's very, very powerful. And the reason I do is that it's very closely linked with the Hebrew word shalom, which is often translated peace, but has a, a much deeper meaning than that because it, it's meant to convey a sense of wholeness, fullness, completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing wrong. It's a kind of perfection, and that's the kind of blessed life that God intends us to live. And this goes right back again to Genesis 1. You know, right at the end of Genesis 1, verse 31, God surveys everything that he had created and he pronounced that it was very good. Now it's interesting that at the end of each day, he pronounced that what he created was good. After he created human beings, that's when he said it was very good. Because as far as God was concerned, creation was completed. That, that his work of creation was completed. It's very good. And if you have a look at the Hebrew behind um, that English translation, this notion that it's very good is a shalomic idea. And so we see God's heart, Genesis 1, 26 to 28, we're blessed. In uh, Genesis 1, 31, God surveys everything that he created and he pronounces it to be very good. It's complete. There's nothing missing. There's nothing broken. And that's conveyed in this grace and peace 
salutation that Paul uses so often in the epistles. One more slide. This is um, from Martin Luther. And of course, uh, Martin Luther, as far as I can understand, he didn't actually intend to start the Reformation. It wasn't actually his idea. He was actually a bit of an academic, believe it or not. He just wanted to start a debate. And the reason why he nailed his theses on the, the door of the Cathedral at Wittenberg, he just wanted to start a conversation. He wanted people to start talking about what he'd come to understand was the heart of God revealed in the Scripture. And when he got this revelation that we're not saved by works, but we're saved by grace, um, and historians say he probably got that from the Geneva translation of the Bible, because this was long before the King James version of the Bible came out. And I've actually had a look at the passages in the Geneva um, Bible, and, and he probably did. But, you know, I want enough of the scholar to know that for sure. But this is a translation from, um, I think this might have been his commentary on either Ephesians or Colossians. I, you can check it up easily enough. But this is what he said, faith, and this is where the connection between faith and grace comes. Um, by the way, the Reformation actually started because students of the University of Wittenberg took his thesis uh, to Rome. And that, that, that really started a debate. And that, that's where the Reformation actually, actually began, began. But it wasn't Luther's idea to start the Reformation. Faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace, so certain of God's favour that it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. Such confidence and knowledge of God's grace makes you happy, joyful and bold in your relationship to God and all creatures. The Holy Spirit makes this happen through faith. Because of it, you freely, willingly and joyfully do good to everyone. See, you can't help it. It happens. Not by design, but because it's the outflow of what God has placed in you by His grace. Because of it, you willingly and joyfully do good to everyone, serve everyone, suffer all kinds of things, love and praise the God who has shown you. Such grace. I love that. I love that. That's such a wonderful expression of the relationship between faith and grace. And it's interesting because I listen to um, people like Creflo Dollar and uh, Andrew Womack, Joseph Prince. They're probably three of the best known and also most criticised preachers who focus a lot on, on grace. And um, they're often accused of preaching a message of what's called hyper-grace, I beg to differ, because uh, I've listened to them for many, many years, and I think they do give a pretty rounded version of the, the gospel overall. But I've heard them say this, that grace is your reasonable, sorry, that faith, faith is your reasonable response to what God has provided by grace. And it struck me that this is probably where that um, expression comes from. That, that Martin Luther was the first to express it in, these, in this way and others have picked it up down through the ages and more recently the so-called grace preachers have picked it up. Now as it turns out, I happen to agree with Martin Luther and I happen to agree with Creflo Dollar and 
uh, Joseph Prince and Andrew Womack. I do think faith is our response to the grace of God. Because if it's not, you see, if we have to manufacture it all the time, it becomes works. And God never wanted our faith to be works. And that's why I say so often, Christianity is not a huff and puff religion. It isn't a huff and puff religion. We receive from God and our behaviour, our thoughts, our words, our deeds are our response. Our faith, which is expressed in our thoughts and words and deeds, is our response to the grace by which we are saved. I've got a little cartoon here. By the way, I haven't infringed copyright. I've actually got permission to use it. Any um, images I use, by the way, either are not copyrighted or I seek permission. So I'm not um, breaching any law when I put these up on the, on the screen. I kind of like this. This is the Grace Coffee House. My faith, God's grace, but guess what? Like my brother, <laughs> you've got to actually offer up the cup. Otherwise it won't be filled by grace. Through whom we have gained